Hey, this is Rabbi Zev Bennett. You're listening to the Halacha Kabbalah Machshava Daily Podcast. Thanks so much for joining, for listening, for tuning in. If you want more content like this, please check us out at www.yasodblocks.com, where all of these ideas, instead of being kind of just every day a different halacha and exploration, you can actually get all the frameworks and underlying pr- principles in an organized way at yasodblocks.com. Additionally, we also have put out an album recently on iTunes and Amazon. It's called Tikkun Hayasod, in which we explore how to use these holistic Torah principles uh, that deal with the totality of what it means to be a person, how to use these principles and this system to actually respond and and relate to and properly perceive and battle with the world of the dark side of the internet, the world of pornography. So check that out, Tikkun Hayasod, or you can just search Zev Bannett on iTunes or on Amazon, and it will appear there for only $9.99. So check that out if you're interested in that kind of content. In this episode, we're going to continue to explore the halachos of Natilas Yadayim. In the morning when you first wake up, we've been talking mainly about uh, why we need to clean our hands or what exactly the, the, the underlying reasoning is for this action. Now we have to explore a different component of it, and that component is mentioned in Simandalid Se'if Vav, section 4, halacha 6. And there it's written, Ein sarich revius linatilas yadayim latfila. A person does not need a revius of water, which is a certain amount of water, uh, for washing their hands prior to tefila, meaning the morning washing of your hands in the morning. And so this halacha is telling us that there is not, there is no requirement for a specific, for this amount of water called a revius. Now in the Mishnah Bura, he writes here, this is in Sifkatan Tesvav, sub, sub section uh, 15. He says, Ein tzarech. What does it mean you don't need this? Rotzel Omar, it means to say, He says, It means that if you don't have the, that full amount of water, so you can still say the bracha on Natilas Yadayim, and it's still it's it's considered to be enough water to activate uh, the requirement for the bracha. Aval, he says, But, tov it's better. Uh, it's the right thing to do to try to make sure that you actually have a revius, that you have this, that, that amount of water. And that's because in the next halacha, in Seif Zion, uh, halacha 7, it says, It's good to make sure for when you're washing your hands in the morning that you have all the things, all the things, that are required for washing your hands for a meal. So there's another kind of hand washing that's the more central, which is we wash our hands before we eat bread before a meal. And so it's, we also make the same bracha, and there's a bunch of halachos uh, about how to do that. And even though in the previous halacha we just saw, it says you don't need a revius, you don't need that full cup um, amount of water for this natilas yadayim in the morning, uh, the next halacha, Sif Zayin, says you should try at least to make it that you do it exactly the same way as you do when washing for a meal for bread, um, because even though... Uh, if you don't, it's still it's still okay, but ideally you should try to do that. Now the question here is the, what I want to explore in Seif Vav in Salacha number six is the aspect of the water because that's what we're really talking about here in the Salacha. We're saying we you, you don't need the full amount of water that you normally need, and in the halachos of of um, washing for a meal, so you do need a revius. You're supposed to have that amount of water in order to do to make the bracha natilas yadayim, and so. Uh, the question is, well, what exactly is that measurement about, and what exactly is this this whole issue? So the the underlying 
there's a whole, there's a, a bunch of different underlying points here that just need to be explored carefully. And so the first one is, well, we've explored the cleaning of the hands because of these different reasons. Hands are dirty and hands have ruach ra on them and the death of sleep and all these things. Um, but now we have to explore the water side of it. In other words, why are we using water to clean our hands? Now for us, maybe this is so obvious because we're so used to just having running water everywhere and we're always washing our hands and it's just known that washing our hands is something that we're supposed to do in order to stay clean, uh, which is great that we know that. And it's also great that we live in a time period where we just have, we, we literally don't need to think about water. I mean, people used to have to cart water from wells uh, and that water was not clean the way that, you know, we have, there was drinking water, which was certainly cleaner, but it's not like water that we have coming out of our faucets, uh, which is, you know, very, very clean uh, compared to, let's say, your average well water situation, uh, depending on the quality of the well and where it's situated. And so the question here more is, well, what exactly, how do we perceive water? What is the, because when something is that obvious, when you have so much water around you and such easy access to water, which we do in Western countries, so we can lose the the same the same way as in our previous episode, we talked about how we can lose the profoundness of what it means to wake up and, and how it's so eerie when somebody is sleeping. So we can lose the the sense of what it really is to ha- to experience water and how to see water in like a fresh or, or I would say even realistic way. It's certainly fresh now for us. If we can access that, it will be fresh for us because we take it so for granted in so many ways. But to actually uh, perceive it in a realistic way, how to actually relate to water experientially, and in fact to uncover the experiential relationship that we're already having with water that we have all the time that we have a hard time seeing because we just kind of, well, we just have water. So we don't need to even think about the experiential relationship that we have with water. And so the way to explore this, I think, is to look at a different halacha, which is the halacha of mikvah. So we already spoke about in previous episodes a little bit about the concept of tumah. And tumah is where you actually experientially encounter your own finiteness. In other words, you basically, uh, uh, you as an immortal, intangible, endless, and, and utterly infinite self, so you are linked to a set of lenses and a body that is actually finite and mortal. And then what can happen is, when you ha- by undergoing different kinds of experiences through your body, the lens that you use to perceive yourself can actually shift and distort, and you can start to experience yourself as something which is finite and something which is temporary. And that's what happens when you encounter a dead body and you say, wow, look, that, that person is gone. They've been erased, and I can also be erased. And the experience of that is, is, uh, is it embeds itself into your perceptual landscape, and that is the the, the the concept that we call tumma, where the series of layers that you are, that your consciousness as it translates into a physical manifestation, is now warped and distorted by your exposure to some kind of false paradigm about existence. And that warping actually leaves a mark on you and all the different layers of yourself. And that mark is what we call tumma. And so tumma, the experiential encounter with death. One of the, there's a number of different ways that the Torah describes how we can um, undo tumma. And different kinds of tumma require different kinds of undoing. So the most, uh, I would say, just um, broadly used uh, and broadly described uh, method is something called the mikvah. And mikvah literally means it's a it's a it's a gathered together area of water. And so what happens is there, there basically needs to be a certain amount of water. Let's let's just the, 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 there's a there's a fixed amount. It's uh, kind of hard to describe in English terms what the measurements are. But the point is that there has to be like a pretty large pool of water. The water has to be gotten there in certain kinds of ways. It needs to be natural in certain kinds of ways. And there's a bunch of different halachos of how a mikvah is supposed to be designed and how that water is gathered together. Um, and then what happens is a person immerses themselves in this pool of water. And then that's supposed to somehow undo 
the tumah that is there, depending on what kind of tumah it is, a lot of different kinds of tumah can be undone, and we'll use the word cleansed, um, through immersing oneself into a mikvah. And the question, of course, now becomes, well, how does the mikvah relate to the phenomenon I just described? If tumah means that now there's this experiential encounter with finiteness, and its ultimate expression is experiential encounter with death, and then you actually want to try to undo that, well, why would going into a mikvah in any way relate to that or, or intersect with that? And so the answer to that question is to understand exactly what water is and what and, and sort of what the experience of immersion in water actually does to us. So the language that's used with regards to the, to the water of a mikvah is that it's supposed to be, uh, the reason why, why there's a certain measurement that is required, a certain amount, it's supposed to basically be enough that a person's entire body can be immersed in it in, in totality with some cushioning around that body, is because it's supposed to represent, really act as a representation of, um, this idea of what's called Mayim She'en Lahem Sof. Mayim She'en Lahem Sof means endless waters. So if you actually think about it, it's interesting because the word for an ocean in Hebrew is the word yam, and the word for, for water is the word maim, and the word maim actually really is just another way of saying mi yam. It means something that comes from yam. It's like a, it's a subset or, a, or an, ex, a, an extracted sample of yam, and yam is supposed to, is supposed to represent this, this endless body of water. It's immeasurably endless, and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to take a sample of that which is endless, and we're trying to basically, um, you know, take miyam, we're taking mayim, we're trying to have an amount of endlessness that is now, again, it's kind of an oxymoron to try to contain a sample of endlessness because you can't take a sample of that which is endless because as soon as you do that, now you are creating an end. There's a place now where now there is an emptiness of that stuff that you just took out. So, and if something is truly endless, additionally, uh, there's no, there's nowhere for, there's nowhere that is not that stuff. So the whole the whole concept here is a little bit uh, self-contradicting, and we're going to see why that's so significant in one second. So we're trying to sort of simulate taking a sample of that which is endless, and then we're putting it in a certain context where now we can access that, and we can sort of like touch that endlessness a little bit, and even immerse ourselves in that endlessness a little bit. So the the, the question, of course, now is well. Why? What are we trying to accomplish by doing that? So if you think carefully for a second about that, well, the interesting thing about water is that water is actually a homogeneous mass. In other words, when you take miyam, when you take maim, and you take some water, so all water is the same. Obviously, there's different um, things that can be mixed into water, and so ocean water is you know, filled with different different um, dissolved things like salt, and there's lots of other, there's dirt and obviously other other foreign uh, entities inside of bodies of water. But in terms of the composition of water itself, it's all just the same thing. It's just endlessly the same. And uh, and when you take some of it out, it's like we're, we're just taking some water. It's all, you're basically just taking a microcosmic uh, analog for the totality of the full body of water. That's essentially what, how water is, is structured. And so the, the idea here is that you're trying to immerse yourself in something which is a homogeneous mass, that all of it is the same. And now I'll give you just another point of reference here. If you look in the beginning of the story of creation in Parshas Bereshis, so you'll notice that, the, um, that Hashem creates these two things. There's Or and Choshech. And, uh, and or is, is usually translated as light. We could also translate it as energy there if we want, because light itself is actually a form of energy. It's a subset of a larger spectrum of energy frequencies, um, which is also then the underpinnings of all of mass, right? I mean, all of existence is literally just energy that has been uh, transformed into matter. And then we have this relation between matter and energy. 
And so, the, but that's we're, we're going to come back to that point in one second. But Hashem says, okay, well, let's give or, literally light, let's give it a name. And he calls it Yom. And then he says, and we're going to name Choshech Laila. And these names are, you know, seemingly uh, not such a big deal. It's kind of like Hashem just naming stuff. But actually, if you look at the names, they're pretty significant. Because the word Yom, we translate the word Yom to mean day. But the word Yom is actually very much the same word as the word Yam, which means ocean. In fact, the plural of the word Yom is the word Yamim, which means multiple days, also means oceans. Um, and so you'd have to ask, well, why would the word for light also be the same as the word uh, the word for light, which is yom, also be the same as the word for day. And so I think the answer to that question is that if you actually think about what or is, and what that when Hashem first creates light, and then basically the process of creation is Hashem taking that undifferentiated energy and then slowly condensing it into differentiated forms that are that are what we call the manifestation of different types of matter, different compositions of matter, and that those compositions are actual are actualized uh, structures. That are atomic in in nature. You just look at the atomic at the atomic uh, you know the periodic table, and every different atomic structure is has slightly different properties because of the intersections of energy, and the and the and the the different um, the different particles we'll call them or just different pieces that make up each atom, and it gives them different energy signatures and how they actually interact on an ele- on an, using the using electromagnetic. Uh, dynamics and nuclear forces and these differences and, 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 and are really differentiations that give rise to the multiplicity and plur- plurality that we see in, in the physical universe. And so what you really have is this process in which this homogeneous uh, ocean of energy is basically distilled and differentiated through a series of stages into very, very multifarious, uh, widely disparate uh, uh, physical you know, pro, uh, physical uh, entities that have very different physical properties as a result of these different um, different compositions. So that's uh, that's like a very interesting process. You think about how how that kind of works, uh, just on the creation scale. And then Hashem calls that or in its primal primal uh, uh, um, state, he calls it yom. And then you look at the at the, at the other word, the word choshech, which is actually exactly the same word as the word chasach, which basically means to hold back. And basically, what choshech is seems to be that, it, like in in the in the Torah's language, is that choshech is that which is kind of like hidden or held back from being manifest. So or is that which is manifest, which is the light that then is differentiated, and choshech is that which is held back from being manifest. It's sort of held in abeyance and uh, and and blocked off. And Hashem Hashem calls that lila, which is actually very similar to the word lule, which basically means like if not for. You can think of lila. It seems like the. Uh, the, the nuance of the word is something along the lines of like it's it's the unknown it's like we, we don't we don't exactly know what's there and so Hashem basically names these things uh, the yom seems to mean this homogeneous mass which is all just all revealed homogeneous mass and then we have the its opposite is that which is unknown and that which is not revealed and that which is held in abeyance and that which is still called the if only we don't know yet what that is it's the question mark side of existence it's almost like where things come from we don't know what's back there it's the the dark unknown that can be in your basement and that can scare you because of the fear of the unknown that is inherently embedded in our own even in our own psychology and so um that yom that is that is the beginning of existence so it doesn't mean day it means the homogeneous uh mass and then when we call our days yom, what that the reason why that's a, that's kind of like an analogy for the original yom, because our days are defined and characterized by the fact that they are all swimming in an ocean 
of light. In other words, everything about the day, what makes the day the day is not the things that are that are now visible. Those things are always there and we can actually see them. Uh, we, we can feel them at night. Maybe, and if we, if we have uh, modern technology, we can even see them with the light that we use to simulate the Yom. But basically, Yom just means an ocean of light. And that's essentially what we're saying here. Uh, yom is an ocean of light. And then, you know, at nighttime, so that ocean of light is hidden and held in abeyance. And so now everything is dark. And so the word Yom and the word Yam have a very closely linked relationship because they are essentially describing the same thing. This ocean of homo homogenous uh, somethingness. And just like with light, light is basically homogenous in the, in the sense that if we're working with one uh, with one frequency or one or just one primal ocean of light, which is the orig original or, so then all of it is the same. And this is actually what's described in the Kabbalah system again and again, that basically everything in existence comes from this original primordial or that is then um, essentially differentiated into uh, diverse and discrete uh, expressions that are now met, that are now physical and actually they they're concretized they are they are condensed into what we experience as the physical universe. So now, why would we want to then have this simulation of of immersing ourselves ourselves in some kind of body of water that was a representation of an endless ocean of water? Well, the idea here is you can think about it when you immerse yourself into a body of water that you feel like is big enough to fully contain you. So what it does is it deephronates you. In other words, it cuts off your awareness on all levels. You can't see, you can't hear, you can't feel things. All your all your uh, senses are basically um, being blocked off. You can't feel things because the water is now is now stimulating all of your all of your nerves, your nerve endings. So you can actually feel only the water, and it blocks that. It's kind of like like the ultimate white noise. It just kind of it's a it drowns out everything else. And the idea is almost to let yourself drift in this homogeneous mass, and that's supposed to be representative of the endless homogeneous mass that is the actual uh, ocean of, of divine light that is manifests as all being. And so what, you're, what are you actually doing? Well, you're trying to actually experientially encounter a, a, a phenomenon of your own endlessness because you, on the level of yourself, your actual neshama, the real you, is formed of that same light, that same divine, intangible, endless ocean of homogeneous light. I'll just, just say, sort of say it a different way. The, the underlying metaphysics or mechanics of a neshama is that it that all of the every neshama is actually the same one. In other words, we are all the same self looking out at the world through different frames of reference. Because neshama is something which is intangible, immeasurable, in the sense endless. And by definition, that means that there can't really be more than one of those. Because if something is endless, then there's not room for more than one. Because just like just like with Hashem, it's really the same idea here. And in fact, we are simply just part of that larger ocean of self that is Hashem. So what we're saying here is that the true you is actually this endless, immeasurable self. And then what happens when you encounter Tuma is that you actually start to perceive yourself as finite, which now distorts your self-image and your and the tools of perception that you use to actually apprehend the world are now being warped. And so you immerse yourself in, an, in, a, in a representation of an endless body of water because that's supposed to be a, uh, an analogy for the endlessness that is the truth of your real self. And by and again, we don't have so many physical exposures today to things that are truly endless. Uh, there are other ways to do this potentially, but they're out of out of our reach right now. But but at least in terms of what we have, what the Torah describes is like the method to undo the distortion is that by immersing yourself in a representation of an endless body of water, so you're trying to essentially reconnect yourself and reformat your perception of yourself so that it is now more accurately uh, uh, 
portraying the truth of yourself, which is that you are actually part of an endless homogenous mass that is the nature of your actual true self, which is why you and I, we share a self. We are actually made of the same material. We are one self experiencing the world through different sets of tools, different frames of reference that make us make us perceive ourselves as separate, but in fact, we're just one self. And, then, and the, the material of neshama itself cannot be broken apart. It cannot be, it can be perceived as broken apart, but it cannot actually be broken apart. And we are all made of the same qualitative one thing. And so what that means is that the, the immersion is supposed to um, represent that. And so similarly here in the halacha of washing your hands, you're take, you're, there's supposed to be a certain measure of water, a significant amount that is also representative of, of that same significant amount that we have in a mikvah that itself is supposed to be representative of the of the water that is the endless water the mayim shein lem sof you're supposed to take enough water that it feels like your hand has now been like washed or has been you know if you only have a little bit of water so if let's say your hands are very dirty you trickle a little water and then it just kind of makes these runnels uh, of, of dirty water now along your hands and here we're talking about enough water that you feel like your hands are actually immersed temporarily to actually create this the same exact parallel analog the idea of like trying to immerse your hands that way they are surrounded by water and cushioned by it at least for a moment and that's supposed to access this experiential sense uh, that your hands are now reconnecting to their endlessness or to their endless capacity as an expression of your own endlessness in your activity in the world and so that is what this halacha is saying it's saying that you don't I, you don't have to have uh, the full amount uh, ideally, you should have it, but if you don't, so in order to just get your hands moving, uh, it's already enough to just have enough, some water to, to create that. Um, but the recommendation is you should try to have the full amount um, because that's really how you fully access this headspace. You can access it also with a little bit of water or with some water, but ideally to have the full amount, that is the, that is the most effective way to access this perceptual experiential uh, signature that you want to imprint onto your physical experience so it can then reformat to some degree the total stack of who you are from top to bottom. Hope that was clear. Thanks again for joining, for listening. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a positive review. And if you're interested in more content, also check out yoursoblocks.com. Looking forward to having you join for the next episode, and thanks again for listening.